A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tato el horihori ki te reo erirangi o Aotearoa. This is Summer Science with Our Changing World on RNZ National. And now, Pam Corns is on the search for auroras and dark skies. Every year we collaborate with the Centre for Science Communication at the University of Otago to bring you some exciting new student podcasts. Tonight, Pam Corns is talking with Ian Griffin from Otago Museum and Alex Tupps from the University of Otago about light at night. It's a cold, crisp night on the Otago coastline. My eyes have adjusted to the darkness and the brightest stars become visible. To the north there is an orange glow from the city streetlights obscuring the stars. That's Dunedin. To the south the sky is dark and starting to take on hues of green and red, growing stronger as visible rays of colour appear. All around the south of New Zealand's South Island other aurora watchers are setting up their cameras to capture the amazing display in the sky tonight. In a short while Twitter and Facebook will light up with photos from places here on the South Island and as far away as Tasmania, all depicting our favourite view of the aurora. From down on the Otago Peninsula, a photo is posted by Dr Ian Griffin, a professional astronomer who regularly chases down aurora. He, like many other aurora-obsessed photographers, must travel many kilometres in search of dark skies. Earlier today at the Otago Museum, the director, Dr Ian Griffin, talked about his interest in aurora and the Dark Skies Initiative in Dunedin. It's astonishing to me that being a professional astronomer for over 20 years and having discovered multiple asteroids, some that you've been privileged to name, that you've never seen the aurora until recently. Why is that? I put it down to bad luck and uh, choice of living location. Um, As you can hear, I I grew up in southern England and um, unfortunately you don't get to see the aurora very much there. And when there were auroras, I was either out of town or it was cloudy. Um, so throughout my career, I've and, until fairly recently when I moved down to Dunedin, I've always lived in places where auroras are relatively rare, um, so I just wasn't lucky enough to see one. Um, but now that I live in Dunedin, um, we're close enough to what's called the auroral oval, the place where you can see auroras, that um, I've been lucky to see a number of auroras over the last two years. In fact, I, I counted up the other night, I'd reached over 55 nights of the aurora, which works out on average to once every two weeks so you can actually see the aurora quite a lot if you know when and where to look. Could you attempt to describe the aurora for the listener and what actually causes it? Well scientifically the aurora is caused by material from the sun interacting with the earth's magnetic field uh, and the material um, causes our atmosphere to glow. So what you see when you're on the ground is a glow in the sky and The aurora, there's no such thing as a standard aurora. It can vary from one night to the next. Sometimes you'll see really gentle, barely visible, uh, pale green arc. And then other nights, like on St. Patrick's Day this year, when there was a magnificent aurora, there'll be reds and the sky will be moving dramatically and dynamically. So from my perspective, you can tell possibly from the way I'm talking about it, I've I've become a passionate uh, chaser of the aurora. And um, every clear night, if there's an aurora on, you'll find me with my camera at some remote location on the Otago Peninsula trying to take pictures of it. The recent talks you presented at Dunedin and in Vicargo were amazingly popular. 
Why do you think there's such an upsurge in interest in the night sky and aurora by the public? Well, I think it's for two reasons. I think um, the aurora is in a sort of a sweet spot in, in public interest. I mean, obviously, astronomers are going to be fascinated by it. Photographers are also fascinated by it because they can take these incredible pictures relatively easily, I would say. And then there are people who love nature and the environment. So I think, you know, normally if you do an astronomy talk to the Astronomy Society, you're lucky if you get 100 people to it. Uh, but when we ran these talks in Dunedin, we had 900 people wanting to hear about the aurora. And I do think that's because it does cross over into lots of different areas of interest. And that's what's brilliant about it, because um, certainly the audience at the talks were, were, was very mixed. And it seems to be something that's cross-generational as well. Um, so I was very excited by those talks. Lots of amateur aurora watchers post on social media, such as Facebook and Twitter. Is this a good medium to help educate the public about astronomy and the night sky and science in general? Oh, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a passionate user of Twitter myself. Um, and the nice thing about Twitter is almost like the instant gratification you get. So, for example, if I go out and I know there's a space station going over in five or ten minutes, I can tweet and say, hey, look up, it's clear in Dunedin, you'll see the space station. And literally the instant feedback you get, I think, is very, very impressive. I find it an incredibly useful tool. And uh, the Aurora Australis Facebook page is an amazing resource for people who are interested in the Aurora. Could you tell me about your magnetometer in your back garden? Yes. Um, so in my back garden at the moment, I've got a very, very sensitive device called a magnetometer, which measures changes in the Earth's magnetic field. And in theory, um, the pattern of changes um, you see should be correlated with what you see in the sky as an aurora. It's an interesting little project, um, and at the moment we've got live data coming from my back garden, um, and we've already discovered that um, on nights when there are really uh, particular exciting auroras, you do get interesting patterns in the data. Uh, it's early days, but I'm confident that within the next six to eight months, we'll have something online that will um, be tweeting madly about, go out and look at the aurora. Oh, that's fantastic. There is a Dark Skies initiative proposed for Dunedin. This would be the first city in the world to instigate this. Could you explain what this means and why we need it? Are we to be thrown into darkness with no street lighting whatsoever? No, absolutely not. I mean, as the father of two daughters and a son, I certainly don't want them to be unsafe at night. Um, over the next 10 years, Dunedin City Council is going to be replacing all of its streetlights. They're spending about, I think it's 13 or $14 million on that. And a group of us who are interested in hopefully improving the view of the night sky for city residents have come together and said, look, can we work with um, the team at the council who are doing the changeover and perhaps put in lighting that is not just fantastic for people you know, on the street, safe lighting, but it's lighting that will enable us to improve our view of the night sky. And that's really important. I mean, one of my favourite locations to look at the sky um, is out on the Otago Peninsula, a place called Hooper's Inlet. And it's magnificent, uh, but the view... Um, in one direction, is slightly um, ruined by the dome of light that's above the city of Dunedin. Now, that dome comes entirely from un, um, unshielded streetlights. So what the Dark Sky Initiative is about is two things, really. Firstly, it's putting shields over all the streetlights, which means that they will only light the ground. The other thing that we want to do is influence the decision that the council are making about the type of street lighting that they put in. At the moment, it's quite likely that white light LED lighting will go into the, the streetlights. But the white lighting, um, where it's been put in around the world, has had a negative impact on wildlife. And, um, and actually, as a stargazer, white light is, is not very good for us. What we're hoping is that the council will put in shielded streetlights that are filtered in some, in some way that will enable us to see the night sky and still keep a safe, um, safe streetlight. 
and it will cost the same amount of money that they were going to invest anyway. So it's, it's a win-win, really. Um, and if Dunedin can be made into a dark sky city, it's going to be great, because not only do the stargazers you know, in Dunedin enjoy a wonderful night sky, it's really good for the economy of this region too, because night sky tourism is uh, something that's growing. I mean, we know at Tekapo, they've got this fantastic site up there where you can go and look at the night sky up on the top of Mount John. Um, and that generates enormous amounts of money for the local economy. We can put in street lighting that will enable us to have a great view. And, and within 20 minutes drive of the centre of Dunedin, you can have world-class views of the night sky. And it's good for the soul because you can really enjoy the night sky views that we have from here. They're, they are really world-class. Thank you. 2015 is the International Year of Light. This is a global initiative hoping to highlight to the people of the world the importance of light and optical technologies. The International Astronomical Union will be raising awareness of light pollution from our cities and suburbs. As you heard from Dr Griffin, the Dunedin City Council have already gone ahead and installed LED street lighting. This is a 4,100 Kelvin, a higher emission than is recommended by the Dark Sky Organisation, who endorse no higher than 3,000 Kelvin as safe levels for us, the environment, and to preserve dark skies. Dr Alex Tupps is a senior lecturer in the Physiology Department of Otago University and is researching the interaction of hormones on the brain. One of his many interests is in astronomy and he has managed to combine his love of the stars with biology and been asked to advise on the Dunedin Dark Skies Initiative. I am here with Dr Tupps in his research lab at the Centre for Neuroendocrinology to find out about the impact on our health of these brighter streetlights. As a consultant for the Dunedin Dark Skies panel, could you explain the difference between 3000 Kelvin and the 4100 Kelvin street lighting that the Dunedin City Council have installed in Bogle Street? Just to explain briefly what Kelvin actually means, is um, this is a measurement of the colour temperature of white light. Currently we have yellow light in the street because um, we have high pressure sodium lights in Dunedin of 3000 Kelvin that has more red light that were now replaced in some areas like in Fogel Street by 4100 Kelvin lights and LED light it is also blue enriched and at 4100 Kelvin it is really bright if you go to Fogel Street and see the difference to the surrounding light sources you will be blinded by the light that is installed there now we get a light source at night that is closer to a cloudy daylight sky and this is something that might interfere with your physiology, with your health actually. How does this high level of light in our nighttime have an effect on humans here in the city? Is there a scientific basis to promoting the lower levels of lighting? Well I mentioned already the circadian rhythm and the circadian rhythm means that all physiological processes are regulated on a daily basis. And we have actually a very precise clock that is situated in our brain. And this clock is actually not going exact on a 24-hour rhythm. So the rhythm is not 24, it is 25 hours. And it is adjusted by natural light. So the sun is the light source that adjusts our circadian rhythm. The problem is, if we now have a light source that is very bright at night that might interfere with this adjustment. So it might synchronize our clock to a different rhythm. The hormone that actually regulates the circadian rhythm, which is called melatonin, it's also the sleep hormone, as the name already tells you, you need it to sleep. Once you're blinded by a light source, you suppress your melatonin secretion. 
And if you have less of this hormone, that is your sleep hormone, you would sleep most likely less well, which might be one problem, but the more prominent problem is that melatonin is a hormone that suppresses tumor growth, and it also has an impact on our immune system. It suppresses the development of autoimmune diseases. Thank you to Dr. Tops for highlighting some of the less known biological benefits of the Dark Skies Initiative to all of us who live under streetlights. As the aurora starts to fade and the glow of the city lights remains, it's now time for Dunedin to get it right and set the worldwide standard to become the first dark sky city in the world. That podcast was produced by University of Otago science communication student Pam Corns. You heard Alex Tubbs from the Department of Physiology at the University of Otago and Ian Griffin, Director of Otago Museum and winner of the 2015 Prime Minister's Science Media Communicators Prize. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. Ka kite anō.